0: Good morning. good morning. Come on, you got an extra hour of sleep. You feeling good? Man, don't you just love that? <laughs> somebody, somebody, I'm, somebody's having a spell down here. I'm not sure what. The, uh, man, I just love that. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling good, properly caffeinated. You guys look good. You sound good. Um, and uh, just what a, what a great thing. I believe we're starting a series today that is going to, has the potential to really change the trajectory of someone's life in here today. I believe that there are families and others not in this room whose lives are going to be altered by the things that we're talking about over the next several weeks. I'm so glad you're here. I want to encourage you to not miss a single moment. And I want to begin, if we can, almost in the beginning. Genesis chapter 12 is where we're going to start this morning. From the moment that God first called on a people... He has had a particular idea in mind and a particular mission in mind for those people. Now God has talked to Adam, He's talked to Noah, and in Genesis chapter 12, he begins to have a conversation with a guy named Abram, but the conversation is different than any other one that God has had with a man before. And Genesis 12 says this: "The Lord said to Abram, whose name would later be changed to Abraham, "Go from your country." Your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Now, we don't know a whole lot about Abram before this time, but here's what we do know Abram is very comfortable. His dad had actually established a very good life, a very good financial foundation, if you would. They had lots of of possessions. They had really everything that anybody could want in the earth at this time. And God looks at him and says, listen, I know you're very comfortable. I know things are set up for you the way you'd like them. But I have something more in store for you. And I am going to do something with you that I've never done with anybody else. And so if you will come out from where you are, I'm going to take you to, I'm not telling you where we're going, but I'm going to take you out from where you are and I'm going to lead you somewhere else. And if you will be willing to break out of your comfort zone, if you'll be willing to break out of, of the circumstances that you have in your life right now, you are going to be a blessing. I am blessing you, God says this, for the purpose of you being a blessing. You see, Abram you've got a lot of things going for you, and, and I've got something else. And the thing that I've got is not just for you. And for Abraham, it actually ended up being for everyone. I am going to bless you for a purpose so that you will be a blessing. Does anybody like grits? Um, we are leaving. We just left Genesis, by the way. The, uh, I, uh... Um, I want to clear something up for any of the Yankees and northern folks from the north in the room. Um, Cream of wheat is not grits, okay? There's a misconception out there. This is an entirely different thing, okay? And the reason why I bring that up is because um, I not only eat grits, but I, I cook grits, and if you don't like them, it's only because you haven't had mine yet. And, uh, and so one day I'll prove that to you. We'll do a giant pot or something, and it'll be fun. And if you ever see me stirring something up here, you'll know it's, it's, it's Paul's making grits and, um, but, and, and giving them to the masses. However, um, in my home, and this is true some, for some reason for a lot of dads, um, breakfast is the meal that I get to cook. And uh, particularly on Saturday mornings, and, and there are other dads like this, we're able to pretend all week long that we really have nothing to do in the kitchen um, throughout the week, and mom takes care of that. And then on Saturday morning, things change. And um, mom decides that she would like to sleep a little longer than, than normal. Not very long, because she's busy, but, but, you know, just a little bit of sleeping in for mom. And so dad gets to make breakfast. So I am the breakfast maker. Uh, my boys believe that my scrambled eggs are better than any other scrambled eggs, and of course they're right about those as well. And, um, but there is something about how breakfast gets made at my house, okay? It is made based on whatever I feel like cooking. I mean, at, at the time, if I feel like it's a biscuits and gravy day, um, then with grits on the side, then that's what we're going to have. If I uh, feel like we're going to have, you know, bacon and eggs with, with grits, uh, then that's, that's what we're going to have. If I decide to cook pancakes, there's no grits involved, sorry. The, uh, if I decide to cook pancakes, then that's what we're going to have. It's based on what God has put in me. And because God gives me the desire to wake up on a Saturday morning, the purpose, if you will, and to make breakfast, because He has placed that in me, then whatever I make, I share. Imagine a world where dads wake up and cook very elaborate breakfasts for a party of one. That just doesn't happen. But rather, God has put something unique in me. And on Saturday mornings, I share it with my family. And here's the thing that he's doing with Abraham. He's saying, listen, I'm going to do a unique work in you. There's gonna be something done with you that's never been done with anybody else. And because of this, I want you to share it. Fast forward about 2,600 years, if you would, to Matthew chapter 28. Jesus says this in a passage that's referred to as the Great Commission. He says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now that's a big statement, but Jesus has just died and has risen from the dead and now he is speaking to around 500 followers, and because of his death and resurrection, he can now say beyond a shadow of a doubt, all authority has, on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, I want you, as you think about this passage, whenever you hear it, whenever you read it, whenever you think about it, I want you to think about the words a little bit differently. Because in the Greek, it is, the word go has a particular tense to it, and it carries with it a much larger meaning. It would be this. As you go. Now, are we to go into all the world? Are we to be missionaries? For some, that's the case, Yes but the scriptures actually say Jesus is actually saying as you go make disciples as you parent your kids make disciples as you speak to your neighbor on your street make disciples as you are at work make disciples as you are at home with your spouse make disciples as you go when you're in Walmart, when you're in Waffle House, when you're in Moe's, wherever you go, as you go, don't just feed the moment. Make disciples as you go. You see, Jesus was on a mission to fulfill God's reconciliation plan with all of mankind. Reconciliation is a big word, but it means two things. Basically, it means ending a conflict, and it is the renewal of a friendly relationship. You see, Jesus' death and resurrection ended a conflict between God and man, and the conflict was between two who were once friends, who were once in relationship in the Garden of Eden, used to be able to walk together, to spend time together, but sin pulled them apart. And Jesus' death and resurrection has restored that, and it is our responsibility to proclaim that so that everyone on the planet knows the work has been done Your relationship with God has been restored if you will only accept it and believe. And Jesus went around and practiced what he preached. He backed up his words with amazing acts of of love and compassion to those who were blind or oppressed. He reached out to the poor. He rescued those who were trapped in sin. and, And he trained others how to do it. He would train his disciples. He would take these three guys... Peter, James, and John, who we believed to be in their teens or late teens at the time. And he would would spend extra time with them. And then he would send them out on missions to let them put into practice what he had just taught them. Those three were a part of, maybe we would call it a journey group. A journey group of 12. And they would spend time together. They would spend time in the Word. They would spend time encouraging one another... And Jesus would not just lead them and fill them up with head knowledge, but he would say, okay, we've talked about some things, we've learned some things, so let's go put them into practice. And he would send them out on on little mission trips around the Sea of Galilee. They would go back. For some of them, they were going back to their own communities. They were going back to their own neighborhoods, but they were going. And then in Luke chapter 10, the Bible tells us that there was another group that Jesus would send out. It was a group of 72. It seems like there were dozens and dozens, perhaps hundreds of people following Jesus from town to town. And in Luke chapter 10, Jesus moves past the three and the twelve, and he goes to these seventy-two, and he says, listen, let's gather together. We've been doing some things you've been hearing me teach. You know what's on my heart. You've been hearing me tell you how to live. Now you need to go and share that mission with others. Jesus attracted a huge following in just a small area, a little seven-mile area on the, on the northern edge of the Sea of Galilee. He, he, he drew people with a unique handling of the scriptures and he was very practical and Jesus wanted his people to to be able to leave and to be able to to put the things that he had taught into their daily lives but at the same time Jesus was identifying and forming a community of people that would share his mission we would refer to them as a missional community and their responsibility was not only to know the mission but to share it and then reproduce other people who could share it as well. And because they went out, because they shared in the mission of Jesus, and because they continued to reproduce themselves, and those people continued on and made more and more disciples, we are sitting here today. Jesus said it this way in John chapter 20. He said, As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And the purpose of the church, and certainly what we've been trying to do in this church, is to draw a community of people together who live out the mission of Jesus in their homes, on their streets, where they go to work, and as God gives the opportunity in our world. So as we begin this series today, let me ask you a couple of questions. How are you doing with the mission of Jesus? Jesus' mission was to seek and to save the lost. Are you aligned with the mission of Jesus? Barna Research, a a Christian research company, recently found, not not too long ago, in a study that only one out of every ten Christ followers have a relationship with someone who is lost, or someone who does not know Jesus as their Savior. You can't seek and save the lost if you're not out among them, sharing the mission with them. But other than that, in our personal lives, dads, are you leading your family to, particip- to participate in some way in the mission of Jesus? How about when you go to work? Do your coworkers know that you have put your faith and trust in something that you are so passionate about that you cannot help but share it? Now, I'm not talking about preaching on the streets or passing out Christian pamphlets with bad graphics. I'm talking about something. You know the ones I'm talking about. I'm talking about something that flows out of you. You see, the mission of Jesus was to seek and save the lost, but the method was to love God and love people. The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 2, don't you understand that it's the kindness of God that leads people to repentance. So here's the question, is the love and kindness kindness of God flowing out of you in a way that draws people to Jesus Christ? And if not, why? What prevents us from living out the mission of Jesus. Well, over the next several weeks, we want to talk about those things that have the potential to prevent us from living the life that Jesus has in store, that he has designed in advance for every single one of us. And so we're going to talk about walls. Now, what do we mean by walls? Well, we have personal walls. We have things that we've created in our own lives over time, habits perhaps that are holding us back. We have uh, family walls, uh, family-related walls. It's, those are those walls where you think, dear God, this is not my fault. I was born into these people. Uh, I am so, there's nothing I can do about it. Um, they're, they, are, they are holding me back. Some of us have, we would say, socioeconomic walls. There are certainly still in our communities, there are racial walls geographic walls, religious walls, and as followers of Jesus over the last 2,000 years, we're typically the ones who create the walls, aren't we? As followers of Jesus inside the church who typically create the walls that prevent us from getting outside the church. People who don't follow Jesus, they they don't understand the walls, they don't get the walls, some they know about, some they don't. What do walls do in general? Well, in, in a positive way, sometimes Uh, walls protect. They they can keep us safe. However, what we're talking about are are walls that can divide. Or even walls that just help us create our own individual space. They keep the outside from getting in, but oftentimes they prevent us from getting out. Walls can also create comfort and cause us to want to isolate ourselves. Listen, walls are all around us. I love looking at very creatively done retaining walls that that are maybe around a home or around some piece of architecture. Whatever it is, there are stone walls. There are there are brick walls. There are there are wallpapered walls. Listen, if you put wallpaper on something, you better be serious about it because that stuff's not coming down without surgery. You know what I'm talking about. Listen, there are there are walls that we paint. There are I mean HGTV is practically a whole channel about what to do with the walls in your home. We build up walls, walls that are not visible to the eye, but they're things that we know we have going on inside of us. For some of you, there are things that are preventing you from being a part and partnering with God on the mission of Jesus Christ. There are things that are preventing you from from sharing it. And and I thought I would just write up a few because maybe in writing them, it'll, it'll resonate with you. And here's the thing about these walls. You're the only one that can define them. You're the only one that knows what's going on in your heart that's preventing you from being a part of the mission of Jesus. Some of you are just dealing with hurts. You're dealing with some significant hurt. Someone has, has said something about you or, or perhaps some circumstance in your life that has just put you on the, on the shelf and put you to the side, and because of that, you are walking around with pain that other people just cannot even begin to imagine. Maybe it was divorce, maybe it was abuse, whatever it was, something that, that somebody did to you that's caused you to not feel like you can really be a part of something as great as the mission of Jesus. And for some of you, that includes things like self-doubt or low self-esteem. Some of you would just say, hey, I, you know what? I'm just not good enough. I, I just don't have what it takes. i I'm I, I've just come and sit in the seat. I mean, I'm, I'm not a person who can do something really amazing for Jesus. I'm not a person that can share this story. I, I don't know what to say. I, I don't know what to do. And so some of you just, you just walk around with fear. And fear is preventing you from having the life that God wants you to have. Fear is preventing you from, from experiencing all that He wants to give you. And some of you when it comes to sharing the the mission of Jesus, the biggest thing that's holding you back is just apathy or indifference. Some of you would just say, listen, there has always been church. There is always going to be church. I'm just going to come on Sunday and do my thing it doesn't matter if I'm an active participant or not. This thing seems to just flow and, and roll. And, and you know what? I just come and, and sit down, and you can just be glad I'm here, and and, uh, and, then, and then I'm, I'm back out of here. You really just don't give a care. But God is saying, listen, I sent my son Jesus to die on the cross and to be raised from the dead, and it's not, I didn't send him so that you could walk around with these things. I send him for so much more. Let me give you a a warning about walls. Listen, once they're put up, they can be really hard to put down. As I said before, we can feel safe behind our walls. Walls oftentimes make us feel comfortable, and and, and when they don't make us feel comfortable, we just dress them up and make them look pretty, and, and then we feel good about them again. But they can prevent us from living out God's purpose and plan in our lives. Walls can hold us back from living out the mission of Jesus in our neighborhoods, our communities, our cities, and the world. Walls can hold us back from walking to the neighbor across the street. Walls can stop us from sharing the love and kindness of Jesus with that person down the hallway that works in the, in the office down the hall. Maybe you can, many of you in this room, will remember a specific kind of wall in history. Our, our nation's history has this period in, it, in world history called the Cold War. The Cold War lasted from 1946 to 1991. It was a time of tremendous political conflict, of military tension, economic competition between the communist world and the West, and it was primarily between the Soviet Union and the powers of, of Western Europe and, and the U.S., the, America and its allies. And maybe the most dominant symbol of the Cold War was the Berlin Wall. The wall was built in 1961, and it separated Western Europe from the Eastern Bloc. It was the preeminent symbol of communism, the ultimate picture of division that existed between the Soviet Union and the rest of the world. However, something very significant happened on June 12, 1987. 1987. It was a day Ronald Reagan stood in front of the Brandenburg Gate of the Berlin Wall in East Berlin and he called for an end to communism. It's a powerful moment. I want you to see it. There is one sign the Soviets can make that would be unmistakable, that would advance dramatically the cause of freedom and peace. General Secretary Gorbachev, if you seek peace, Mr. Gorbachev tear down this wall. What a powerful moment. There are people who have been born today whose lives are changed because of that moment. When walls come down, history is made. When walls come down, people are set free. When walls come down, families are changed, and it can spill out into whole communities. Listen, when walls come down, there is fresh vision. There's fresh energy. There's new ideas. There's, there's things you cannot even fathom in your current state. Are there any walls that are preventing you from having the marriage that you've always dreamed of having, the marriage that you, you thought you'd have at the beginning? And some of you right now, there, there are walls around your marriage. There are walls in your relationships. And you're thinking, We will never have what we originally wanted. We have gone too far. Listen, I'm here to tell you that when you bring down the walls, things become possible that are not possible today with those walls up. I think about the dads in this room. Dads, is there anything preventing you from being the dad you've always wanted to be? Moms, is there anything preventing you from being the mom you've always wanted to be? For dads, a lot of times I hear things that that make it too easy to cop out. Like, well, my dad wasn't that engaged. He was at work all the time, you know. I I, I turned out okay. I don't have to be this superhero father. But listen, you've got something in your heart. If you're a follower of Jesus where God is continuing to push you, saying, listen, your kids deserve your very best. Not only that, your kids deserve my very best, and I have put you in a position to give it to them. Is there a wall of financial debt? that is preventing you from using your, your God-given resources to achieve goals and, and also be able to bless others? Is there something that just knocks you back every time you feel like you're about to turn the corner? Maybe it's one of these things. Maybe it's a fear that creeps up or self-doubt or a, or a previous hurt, something in your past that, you just, that just keeps you on the shelf and you don't even realize it, but you've placed that up as a wall and it's absolutely got you hemmed in. If you're going to live out the mission of Jesus in your life, you're going to have to tear down some walls. So the question that only you can answer is this, what are your walls? What are your walls? When walls fall, they can be messy when they hit the ground. When walls fall down, we, there may be a sense of vulnerability. You may even initially feel insecure. We're not quite as comfortable without our walls, but listen, Jesus came to tear down walls. He went against the religious mindset of the day. He talked to strangers. He ate with sinners and, on, and, and went out of his way to love the unloved. He lived a life truly without walls, and that's what he wants for you as well. Several years ago, John Foreman, the lead singer from Switchfoot, he wrote a song called Meant to Live. It was based on a poem by T.S. Eliot, called The Hollow Men. And the idea of this poem is that men begin with with grand dreams, with, with grand designs, but over time, things happen in this life that begin to, to peck away. Things begin to come at them time after time. And for us, us as Christ followers, we know the sin comes at us, self-doubt, hurt, pain. And over time, men that once had grand dreams, people that once had a grand design, big vision, big plans, they feel absolutely hollowed out and John Foreman would go on to write a song and say listen we were meant to live for so much more we lost ourselves and the call of Jesus this morning is to tear down the walls so that once again you can live the original dream that God had for you so why is it important that we identify our, our walls and, and tear them down. You say, does it even matter if I have a wall in my life? Does it, should I even try to tear it down? What difference can I make? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says this, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Has anyone ever called you a piece of work? Have you ever referred to anybody as a piece of work? Yeah, that's the Bible verse for it. It's, it's in there, and it's okay. Listen, you are a work of art. You are a masterpiece. You were saved by Jesus for good works. You're not saved by doing good works. You are saved to do good works. And if we are to share in the Jesus mission, then we have to look at what he did and try to imitate it as best we can. In John chapter 4, Jesus engages a woman that has... Five husbands, And she's currently shacking up with someone else. And instead of condemning her and judging her, Jesus offers her living water. He offers her life. In John chapter 8, the Pharisees bring a, a prostitute to Jesus. And they wanted to stone her and, and kill her for her sins. And, and like only he can, Jesus bends down and just starts to write in the dirt. And some believe he was writing in a passage from Jeremiah. But the main thing that we know is that Jesus looked at those people and he said, He who is without sin go ahead, cast the first stone. And he looked at that woman in a way that only he could, and he restored her, and he sent her to go and sin no more. In Mark chapter 5, a demon-possessed man comes to Jesus. I mean, this guy is crazy. He's all chained up. Day and night, he's crazy. He's tormented. And Jesus... Instead of looking at him and saying, you know what, you're just too messed up for me to deal with. You know what, you're too much to handle. Instead, Jesus looks at him with love and compassion. And then, of course, does the Jesus thing that only he could do and casts demons out. Listen, there were blind people, there were deaf people, there were crippled people, poor people, sinners, thieves, whoever you can think of. But for Jesus, there were no walls, there were only moments of love and compassion. And oftentimes, we shun people that need compassion because we've built up walls in our lives. That's what apathy and indifference can do. We don't engage the poor around us. We don't engage not only the poor monetarily, but the poor in spirit. We just, we just don't serve because we have walls of messed up priorities. We don't walk across the street to engage our neighbor to share the gospel because of a, a wall of fear. We're, we're afraid that we don't know what to say or we're afraid of... Rejection, whatever it is, listen, we are God's masterpiece created to do good works. Listen, that God, the scriptures say, that God has already prepared. Listen, chances are, if God has put someone on your heart to reach out to, if God has put something on your heart, if you have a thought in your head about someone you would like to extend kindness to someone you'd like to extend the love of god to it's 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 important to understand god put that there and he's given you everything you need to make it happen you ever have that you have have this person this thing that god keeps bringing to your mind Like god i just don't know if i can pull that off listen god has prepared this moment for you before you were even born and he will give you every tool, every word that you need to do the good work that he has designed for you to do on behalf of Jesus. Philippians chapter 2 verse 13 says, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his purpose. When we take that first step forward, to reach out in love and kindness or to share that word with someone that God has put on our heart or to do that thing that God has asked you to do. Listen, it's not just about you. It's not about you at all. It's God's work. And he's giving you the opportunity to carry it out. Listen, if you believe this, if you believe the story, if you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and that He's risen from the dead, then you must share it. We talk about the things we love. We talk about the things that are important to us. And of all things, the death and resurrection of Jesus should be something that we cannot help but share. Luke chapter 6, Jesus says, Good people bring good things out of the good stored up in their heart. And evil people bring evil things out of the evil stored up in their heart. For out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks. And then he gives a verse... It's an interesting lead-in for a story that you probably know. Why do you call me Lord, Lord and do not do what I say? I I could read for you the story that he's about to tell, but I, I think you probably know it. It's a story of two builders. You know the story? The foolish man built his house on the sand, right? And the storms came and they washed his home away. But the wise builder built his house on the rock and when the storms came he was able to stand strong do you understand that the lead-in for that story is jesus saying why do you call me lord lord and not do what i say listen it's absolutely foolish to have the message of jesus in your life and not share it and other people look at that and they call it foolish other people are critical of Christ followers when they see us doing that very thing, of having this incredible message that with our words we say changes everything about eternity and life, but we do nothing about it. Jesus says, you may as well be building a house on sand. But when you take it and put it into action, it's like you're building a house on a rock. Our works should flow out of our love for Jesus. And when they do, God provides incredible opportunities that only he can. I have a friend named Waverly, and uh, when she was eight, she had an idea. She's 14 now, and I'm friends with her, her parents, Jennifer and Skip, and, and Waverly had this idea she was sharing with her mom. She's from an upper middle class home, and she went on a school field trip to work at a food pantry, and Waverly, as an eight-year-old, would look at the people walking up to get food, and the kids particularly stuck out to her, and she was like, well, why don't these kids have everything that I have? And so Waverly went to her mom, and she said, Mom, I, I want these kids to have what I have, so I, I have an idea. How can we help people? I want to help people buy things for these kids. And again, upper-middle-class home, so what do kids need, Waverly? Well, she started going down the list. Well, they need Abercrombie jeans. They need this electronic thing. This ele- She's eight at the time, Okay. Like I said, upper middle class home really, you know, has, has a great foundation laid for her life. And so her mom went, okay, we'll do that. They made a website, they put a duffel bag together, and if you wanted to sponsor a child with Waverly, one of Waverly's duffel bags, it would cost you about $500. And so some time went by, and, and I called uh, the Gilcrease family, and I, I said to Waverly, um, Wave, I'd, I'd love to do one of your duffel bags, but I can't afford it. And, um, and so how about a backpack for people like me? Um, can, we do, can we sponsor kids with a backpack program and, and give kids back to school supplies whose families maybe are trying to figure out how they're going to do that and, and buy groceries and all those things? Yep, great. And then Waverly says, well, we can only do it if we throw a party. <laughs> okay, sure. So instead of just having people come to the church and get backpacks, we threw a party. We basically put on a carnival. And said, come get your backpacks. And we registered people in advance. And the first time, I think we had four or 500 people come. So that was in July. In August, Waverly comes to me and she says, All right, um, Pastor Paul, I want to do a Christmas party for all the kids we just gave backpacks for. Okay, fine. That's, we'll do it. Christmas party. Same, I like that it's the same families. We can encourage them to come back and, and let them know we just don't want to serve them and have them walk away. We want to build a relationship with them. So, So this is great. So we'll have a Christmas party. Well... At the same time, in in Paulding County, and I've been on staff at our East Campus for for quite a while, and and so some community leaders came to me and and they said, listen, the state has just cut back on Christmas funds and we were wondering if you guys would help us do Christmas. We don't need you to do the whole thing, but we need you to do, I I don't know, maybe 1,500 kids. And um, I said, really? Um, Well, how does Christmas work right now? Well, they said, well, people register and then at the appointed times, and then on the appointed day they go to the sheriff's office uh, to the drive through window where people normally pay their tickets, I guess. They call their name in. We check their name off. We hand them a black bag out of the drive through window and say Merry Christmas. Well, ho, 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 that's great. I said, okay, I want three things. I said, I want to be able to host it. I want to be able to feed them. And I want to be able to share the gospel. And so... That very next December, community leaders allowed us to register people from the community to come to our building to get toys and food, and Waverly had one other idea. She said, Pastor Paul, these kids don't ever get to shop. I said, okay. She said, so we're going to have a store that kids can go into and pick out a gift for free for mom or dad, or for, primarily for mom or dad or their guardian, but maybe some, some brothers and sisters too. I said, okay. First time we did this event, Brian came, Pastor Brian came onto the campus, and he was so concerned about how many people were in, in the second floor of the East Campus that he called our builder and our engineer and wanted them to make sure that we could handle the weight load. And then the fire marshal showed up, and I said bro, <laughs> I don't know what you want me to do. Merry Christmas. I mean, I, I can't ask people to leave. It was cold. I, we, can't, we can't have people stand outside. And we just all kind of sat around and I'm praying with the fire marshal and with Brian and with other people going, please, Lord, don't let the building fall apart. It's pretty new at this point, you know. And we did Christmas. And we had nearly 3,000 people show up. The kids bring, we bring their families. And because of Waverly's idea, We threw a party. Last year, we had around 8,000 show up because over the course of time, the government's continued to cut funds and the community basically came to me last year and said, listen, we can't do anything at all, but we're willing to give you all of the kids. And so kids from... (laughs) It's very nice. Kids came from Douglas, Paulding, Cobb, and so this year, we're bringing it to Bartow. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, we're, we're three campuses, but we're one church. And I want this campus to own the poor and oppressed of Bartow County. We should own the lostness of this community. That's what being a part of the mission of Jesus is all about. And can I tell you something? I have a little back-of-house access to hopeforchristmas.com. Um, the guest numbers are going to fill up at this campus First we have determined a pretty decent number of how many we believe we can host at the Hope for Christmas party that this campus is having. It's going to fill up here first. We just need you to volunteer. And we are going to welcome the community We're going to welcome those that believe they don't belong anywhere else because of the circumstances that life has dealt them. And hopefully God is going to allow some relationships to happen. So at the end of the day, not that kids get Christmas, but at the end of the day, they accept the message of Jesus Christ and their lives are changed forever. Their eternity is changed. Listen, God will go before you. He's already done the prep work. He's already opening doors and creating opportunities. What he's asking us to do is tear down our walls. He said, my son didn't die so you can just carry this around or this or any of it. Ever the walls are in your life, I want you to know you were meant to live for so much more and God wants to help you rediscover that if you will tear down the walls. Let's pray together. I want to just ask right now in your seat, you can bow your head and close your eyes. I can't answer this question for you. I I don't know what the walls are. But if there's an ache inside of you that you believe you were created for more than what your life looks like right now, if there's a person that God keeps bringing to your mind, if there's a something that God wants you to take action on, he keeps bringing it to you and it just maybe you just don't have the courage or whatever whatever the walls are, I want you to ask God right now, God, help me identify the wall and then God help me to tear it down with your help. Whatever it is, you were meant for so much more. I pray that the Holy Spirit of God will set people free today. Heavenly Father, would you tear down the walls that have been built. God, it may, it may cause us to get a little uncomfortable. It may be a little bit messy, but I believe it can be absolutely beautiful because, God, I believe you created us for so much more than what we're doing on a typical day-to-day. God, help us to understand what it looks like to be a part of the mission and message of Jesus every single day. There are lives at stake. God, help us to know how to fulfill your mission. Empower us to do it. In Jesus' name, amen.